self-control is probably the one that sticks out in my mind as uh, it's easy to get frustrated. It's easy to get deep down. And um, you know, there's there's a lot of things in farming that aren't you can't control. We don't do a lot of good control of ourselves because we're too worried about controlling others. It's a constant battle between right and wrong or what I should do and what I shouldn't do. The most important element to being successful growing fruit is self-discipline and self-control because it is a type of activity that requires ongoing, regular activity. You can't catch up from a month of neglect. We have to make sure it works. We have to, we have to do what we have to do, uh, be there when it needs, whatever it needs to make that crop produce. Good morning. This is a baseball. Did you know that? We'll get to this in a minute. I want to say welcome to everyone, uh, especially if you're a guest with us today. Thank you so much for being here. Also, I want to say hello to all of you who are watching online or on television. For those of you who are in the room, would you please give our online television audience a big hand? <laughs> Next week is going to be a special, special day because I'm trying to look and see where he, there he is right there. Mr. Dr. John Ed Matheson is going to be speaking for us next week. He's sitting right down here. So, yes, looking forward to that. It's going to be great, so please come back next week. As we get started, I want us to do what we do each and every week, and that is lift up another church in our area. And this morning, we're going to be praying for the Lily Baptist Church and their pastor, Pastor Thomas Jordan. So let's lift them up as we pray for ourselves. Father, we thank you so much. We thank you for your spirit that is in this place. We thank you for your presence. And Lord, as we come now to open up your word, I pray, first of all, for the Lily Baptist Church. Lord, we pray you would be with their members. Would you bless them, watch over them, keep them safe. Lord, we pray for their pastor. Lord, I pray that you would inspire his mind as he leads in these difficult days. And now, Lord, I pray that you would speak to us. By the power of your Holy Spirit, would you speak? Lord, we love you. We really do. And we thank you for loving us. We pray this in Jesus' good and powerful name. And everybody said, amen. amen. This is a baseball. Did I mention that? I absolutely love baseball. I grew up playing baseball. Baseball was the main thing that I started at a very young age and then played up through high school. I remember when I was 10 years old, I was on the 9- and 10-year-old all-star team. And we played the first round of the uh, playoffs there in Moulton, Alabama. Anybody know where Moulton, Alabama is? Okay, yeah, there's some. All right, Lawrence County. We were in Moulton, Alabama, and it was the championship game first round. Last inning. Score was tied. Yours truly came up to the plate. I wish I could tell you I hit a home run. I didn't. They walked me though, so that was good. So I went to first base. The next batter hit a rope to the outfield fence, hit it in the gap. Now, I don't know if you know anything about nine, 10 year old baseball. Most of the time when the ball makes it to the fence, everybody just gets to run forever, right? I mean, everybody's coming home at that point, most of the time. All right. Well, the problem was I was running, okay? And I wasn't the slowest person, you know? I mean, but I did move about the speed of cold molasses, 
You know what I'm saying? I mean, about that fast. It was about, I mean, I could beat a turtle. That was about it. And so I'm running. I'm running as hard as I can. I round second. And I'm running. I'm digging as hard as I can. I round third. I have no idea why my coach waved me home. I really don't know. But he did. And so I'm running as hard as I can. It's a tie ball game. Last inning. We are going to win. Now, here's the thing. I knew what to do. Whenever you're going into home plate and it's going to be a close play, what is it you're supposed to do? You're supposed to slide. That's right. You, I know I'm supposed to slide. Not only do I know that, I've got, you know, a hundred of my best friends in the stands called parents all doing this. Slide, slide, get down, get down, right? Not only that, right behind the catcher and, and the uh, umpire that's there, my coach has come out of the dugout. He is right in my line of sight. He's out there on his knees in the dirt saying, get down get down get down as I am just digging I mean I'm moving fast not really but I like to think I was as I was running I saw the ball coming it was like this convergence of three things there was about to be a collision the catcher me and the ball the question is could I beat the ball getting there could the catcher hold on to the ball would I slide and then all of a sudden in that moment all three things were coming together let me ask you a question. <laughs> Have you ever known the right thing to do? You knew it was the right thing. You knew it. Everybody around you was telling you it is the right thing to do. You knew it was the right thing to do. Everybody around you is telling you it's the right thing to do. And you still didn't do it. course you have. We'll come back to baseball in a minute. <laughs> Truth is we all have, haven't we? That's why we struggle with this thing called self-control. Self-control, I've defined it for you. You can fill in the blanks if you'd like. Self-control is the ability to regulate my thoughts, words, and actions before God and to others. So I regulate my thoughts, words, and actions before God as I live life before God and then also to others, toward other people as I interact with them in life. And the truth is every single one of us, every single one of us have struggled in one way or another with this thing called self-control. Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote his last letter to a, a young man by the name of Timothy. And the last letter that we know of that Paul penned is called 2 Timothy in the Bible. And in 2 Timothy chapter 1, you know, he opens up and he says the normal greetings, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. And then in verse 3 he says, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. Right here we see that Paul is praying for Timothy for some reason. Something's going on in Timothy's life, and Paul is praying earnestly here, fervently here. He says night and day. Verse 4. As I remember your tears, notice that, as I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. For some reason, 
Timothy has been upset to the point of tears. And Paul knows this, either in an interaction or through a letter that Timothy sent to Paul. Then he says this in verse 5, I am reminded of your sincere faith. Right here Paul says, Timothy, I remember you had sincere faith. Which is a clue for us that lets us know that maybe right now Timothy is actually struggling with having what he thinks is sincere faith. But Paul says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure it dwells in you as well. Paul says, Timothy, I know that the faith that's in you is sincere. I know. And Timothy needs to hear this message from Paul. Verse 6, he says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. There's a gift in you. God has done something in you, Timothy. You need to fan that into flame in some way. Because maybe that flame is burning out. And then in verse 7, he says, For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, no fear in God, no, but of power and love and self-control. Notice what Paul does right here. Paul tells Timothy that the spirit that God places in his life is a spirit that has, gives you power to have love and self-control. Notice that Paul tells Timothy that it's as if he summarizes the fruit of the spirit. The fruit of the spirit as built out in Galatians 5, which Paul wrote, starts with love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and then ends with self-control, right? Right here, it's as if he gives it to him in a nutshell. He says, the spirit, the Holy Spirit that is in you is not a spirit of fear. There is no fear in God, but it gives you power. The question is power to do what? Power to love, and that love leads you to walk in self-control. He gives him the first one and the last one right here. And the point that he's making, or the point I want to draw out that Paul is making to Timothy, is that it's the Holy Spirit that empowers you to live out this thing called love and to live out this thing called self-control. And Timothy needs to hear that. You see, Paul's not writing to him in a vacuum about just random issues. No, he's addressing specific issues that are going on in Timothy's life. And just as Timothy needed the message about self-control, that it comes by the power of the Holy Spirit, so do we. So do we. So many times. So many times. It's the Holy Spirit that helps us self-regulate our thoughts, words, and actions so that we can walk in, live out the image of Christ to the glory of God on this planet. But we as the church have to be honest. And part of the honesty that we have to bring to the table is that, man, self-control is a struggle. And the struggle is real, y'all. It is real. And anybody who says it's not real, they lie. We come out of the womb, out of the womb with this nature, these desires, these cravings that are within us. Not only just the, the necessary desires that we have for survival. It doesn't take too long into living that we realize we have fallen desires. We have selfish desires. The whole world is about us. And this struggle that we have to self-regulate our thoughts, words, and actions before God and to others, it is a very, very real struggle. It, it's only when we grow up a little bit and then we start getting indoctrinated into a larger culture around us that we actually start self-regulating ourselves, at least in public, around other people. Are you with me there? You with me? 
But at least in public, we start behaving a little bit with cultural norms around us. But there's still things that go on deep within our heart, deep within our mind, and our thoughts, our words, and lived out in our actions that they're not healthy and they're not good. And we all know it. Now, you may have taken your halo off before you walked in here, but we know it. We know it. And that leads me to point number one. Point number one is that the goal is to walk in self-control before I sin, obviously. The goal is to walk in self-control before I sin. Now, even as I give that point, the goal is to walk in self-control before I sin, there's a problem. All you have to do is like turn one page in the Bible and hit Genesis chapter 3 in the very beginning and you realize there's an issue here. Yes, the goal that God wants for us is to walk in self-control before I sin, yes, but the problem is sin is real, very real. And every person struggles with particular things in different ways. Your struggle is probably not my struggle. My struggle is probably not your struggle. But every person struggles with particular things in different ways. And as I said, the struggle is real. It is very real. Because we all have desires that do not align with God's desires for us. And even though our particular struggle may not be the same thing, the root problem is the same thing. That's why Paul wrote in Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Notice he didn't leave anybody out. He didn't leave anybody out. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we read verses like that and we hear things like this and we say, well, where is life going for me? Is my life simply going to be a series of trying to cope with my mistakes in those moments when I don't exercise self-control? Well, those are really good questions, but before we start asking those, I have to tell you, it gets worse. Not only do we have the problem of sin, you and I live with the pain of sin. Sin is so painful, painful. Not only the sin we directly commit, but also the sin that happens around us and how it affects us. It is so painful. And it is when we sin, we feel that distance from God. We find ourselves kind of like Adam and Eve in the garden, right? Trying to run and hide from God. Have you ever tried to play hide and seek with an all-knowing God? It doesn't work. But we try. And there's that distance that's created in the relationship so many times with God. God's not going anywhere, but we're running. We're running. Not only that, there's damage that happens because of sin and pain from that damage in our relationships around us. And we find ourselves pulling away from people we know and love and isolating ourselves off. And so we feel guilty before God. We feel shame before others. But then it gets worse. We feel depressed in our own heart and mind, in our own soul. We feel like despair is settling in. We feel helpless. See, the problem is that, yes, the goal is that we walk in self-control before I sin. The problem is we all sin, and we all live with the pain of sin. And it is painful. And so the question is, is that where I'm left? Is that what life is going to be for me? A series of mess-ups, a series of sometimes I get it right, sometimes I get it wrong. And whenever I get it right, great. And whenever I get it wrong, I'm just left with disaster and damage and despair. Yes, it is true that Romans 3.23 says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but Romans 3.24 is also true. And you have to read that part. It's so good. I'll read it for you. 
All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Yes, verse 24. Yet God, yet God, in his grace. Oh, no, that's an important word. Yet God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. Yes, everyone has sinned. Yes, we have messed up. Yes, we've messed up the goal. The goal was that we would exercise self-control before we sin, and we blew it. We blew it. But God steps in, and in his grace, even though we feel the damage, even though we feel the distance, even though we feel the depression, even though we feel the despair, in his grace, God steps in, and he says, you may feel helpless, but you are not hopeless. You are not hopeless. That leads me to point number two. Point number two is that the grace that God gives is to walk in self-control after I sin. After I sin. And every single one of us need this grace. Every one of us. I don't know about you, but I've never met a perfect human being. I haven't. And I don't think I will this side of eternity. And God's grace is that countercultural component of the gospel that blows the minds of people who have never received it, and it blows the minds of people who receive it every day. That's how amazing it is. Truth is, we don't do grace very well, actually in our relationships with other people. We go to one of two extremes. Either one extreme is, oh, because of grace, anything goes. The other extreme is, oh, yeah, God may have grace for you, but you better come close to being perfect. Right? But God's grace, grace is the radical love of God that will neither leave you because of your sin nor leave you in your sin. And it's God's grace that cuts through all the problems that we create in life when we do not exercise self-control and it cuts through and heals all the pain that we have to deal with in life because we do not exercise self-control and it's God's grace that swoops in and does three very important things number one we feel the searing realization that we have done something wrong the word is called conviction conviction a lot of times we don't like this word in our modern society but the word conviction is very very important and it's very very important that we feel it very important. We should n never want to be in that place where we're so calloused on the inside that we cannot feel the nudging of the Holy Spirit telling us that we're off course. So important. Because that conviction leads to this thing called confession. Confession is when, by definition, we call it what God calls it. That's what biblical confession is. I call it what God calls it. God calls it sin, I call it sin. God says it's not sin, it's not sin. God says it's good, it's good. I call it what God calls it. And when we feel this conviction, it leads to confession. That's when correction can happen. When God course corrects our life and gets us back on the right path and picks us up and says, okay, let's, let's go at this self-control thing one more time. One more time. I really think part of what I was thinking as I was getting ready for this message is that someone today, either in one of our three services or someone watching on television online, 
is struggling with the fact that you think or you're asking the question, will God extend his hand of grace to me again? So many times we struggle with that. Will God actually extend his hand of grace to me again? And people have said to me, Chris, you don't know what I've done. Chris, you don't know how I've messed up. You don't know how I took self-control and threw it out the window and did my own thing for a very long time. What I want to tell you is this, is that the grace of God that can radically change your life forever, not just he will not leave you because of your sin or leave you in your sin. It will radically change your life forever is being extended to every one of us right now. And it's by the grace of God that you're even breathing the air you're breathing. And he will not withhold it. He will not withhold it. Which leads me to point number three. And that is the goal of grace. The goal of grace is to walk in self-control before I sin again. Not just after I sin, but before I make the same mistake again. Now, when God steps into our life in this act of grace, this grace that brings conviction so that there can be confession and there can be correction, please understand that God is not interested in beating you up. I think somebody needs to hear that this morning. A lot of times we portray God as that God is just sitting in heaven. He just really enjoys making you miserable. That's not God. That's not God. What God does is he steps into our life because of his grace and he picks us up so that we can get back on the right path. But he is not interested in just making you feel miserable about it. Matter of fact, some people think that God's favorite word is no. No. We just say it like, thou shalt not. Right? I don't think God's favorite word is no. I believe that God says no. But every no that God says on earth, I believe, is a yes in heaven. It's because he has something better for you. That's why he wants us to self-regulate by the power of the Holy Spirit, our thoughts, words, and actions before him and toward others. He don't like telling us no. He'd rather us tell ourselves no. (laughs) By the power of the Holy Spirit living in us. But God's not mad at you. You may be sitting here thinking, Chris, I've blown it. Listen, we all have. Every one of us. And he's not mad at you. He wants to bring forgiveness into your life so he can pick you up and you can get moving again. And by the way, God's favorite word is not no. I think his favorite word, most favorite word is Jesus, which means God saves. God saves. I think his second favorite word are words like Carol and John and Sarah and Mike. And Jose, 
He loves Jose. And Talia and Mokimbo and Yusuf and your name and my name. God loves calling us by name even in those moments when we have messed up. We did not exercise self-control. And because of his grace, he still calls out to us by name. This is a baseball. I was running home. As I'm running home, I see the catcher. I see the umpire. I see my coach on his knees in the dirt telling me to get down. I see a hundred of my closest friends in the stands telling me to get down. And I see this ball coming. It's like a triangle getting closer and closer to the catcher. As soon I knew what to do, I was supposed to what? Slide. As I'm running in, see the ball come. It hits the catcher's mitt. As soon as he catches the ball, my knee hits his glove before my foot hits the base, and I did not slide. And I was out. We went on to win the game the next inning. But when I got in the car, mm, it's actually not as bad as you think because my dad wasn't there. My mom was there. <laughs> Just kidding. I love you, Dad. Um, I was 10 years old. I was in the back, not the back seat, the back floorboard. And I was crying uncontrollably. One of those violent, shaking cries. I'd law, I, I didn't, I mean, we won the game, but I could have won the game for us. And I was so mad because I knew the right thing to do. Everybody was telling me the right thing to do, and I still blew it. You ever been there? I'll never forget my mother's message to me riding home from Moulton, Alabama. You see, whenever I was running home, everybody was telling me to get down, get down, get down. When I got in the car and was going back home, my mother's message to me was, Chris, you got to get up. You got to get up. She said, you'll slide again. You'll play another game. You'll have an opportunity to slide into second base or third base or home. But next time, you'll do it. But you got to get up. You got to get up if you're ever going to do it again. As we've gone throughout this series, I think that's the most appropriate way to close. Whether it's love or joy or peace or patience or goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, whichever one it is and whichever one you failed at miserably, my message to you is you got to get up. By the power of the Holy Spirit, you can get up. By the power of the Holy Spirit, you can be forgiven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, you can slide again. You can. So my prayer is that 
wherever you are and whatever you're struggling with in life, that you'll get up. Amen? Amen. Father, I thank you. I thank you because it is your spirit that enables us to get up. Every one of us who are sitting in this room, every one of us that are watching online on television, we have all failed in some way. And through the power of repentance, we come back to you. And Lord, I pray for each and every person who feels like they've gone too far, done too much, could never come back, could never move forward. I pray that the simple message they would hear is that we can get up. Because of you, we can get up. So I pray that would be so here today. Lord, we love you. We really do. I pray this in Jesus' good and powerful name. And everybody said.